0: And so often I hear in our circles um, that people would love to be doing X, Y, Z, but, or I wish I could do this, but, you know, reality sets in. And it's like, why not inspire people to make their own life, to make those choices? We get one life to live here. Why not make it one that we've chosen, not just settled into
1: Welcome to the InvestNest Real Estate Investing Show, a community for real estate investors to learn, network, and grow. Be sure to join theinvestnest.com and start learning and earning today. Hey, what's up everybody? This is Travis Murphy, your host of the InvestNest Real Estate Investing Show. I wanna thank you all for joining me again this week. I hope everybody's having a good week so far. Um, The weather here in our area is finally starting to break a little bit. We're getting some sunshine and some some warmer temperatures. Uh, The days are a little bit longer. So I got out and did a little mountain biking over the weekend. I hope everyone out there is able to get out and enjoy some some of this nice weather as well. We've got a great Invest guest joining us as always this week. uh, Amanda Bolin is going to talk to us about her real estate investing journey into the multifamily space. She goes by Multifamily Amanda on Instagram. And uh, we're going to introduce her in just a minute. But before we do, I want to remind everyone listening to please hit the subscribe button. And if you're enjoying the podcast so far, leaving a review and rating really helps us out. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Invest Nest. And of course, check out the theinvestnest.com. It's an online uh, social community for real estate investors. You can create a free profile, ton of great stuff there. And there's a lot of uh, updates and new features coming out very soon as well. Okay. All right. And now it's time to welcome our Invest Guest of the Week, Amanda Bolin. And she goes by Amanda on Instagram. Amanda, welcome to the Invest Nest.
0: Thanks for having me on. This is an honor.
1: Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Um, so I'm glad to, to finally catch up with you. Uh, how, first, before we get into real estate, how's everything going? You having, having a good 2021 so far?
0: I'd say I'd say we uh, just closed on our latest property here so getting that rolling that's a great way to start 2021 we knew rolling into this year that was going to be coming so it's a good start.
1: Great that's awesome excellent okay so i'm really excited to talk uh, real estate with you, and in particular you know multifamily Um, you go by multifamily amanda so that has to mean something um can you tell us a little bit about just first to get started just tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do with uh with real estate
0: so we have kind of evolved quickly i would say i feel like it's been a long journey but it hasn't actually been all that long in real estate um but we we focus mostly on multifamily real estate but we are also open to opportunities alongside to keep the ball rolling Um, that's kind of what we've always done. I started sharing on multifamily, Amanda, to get the word out that if you're an average couple or an average person, it really, you don't have to be up here to get going or get started on it. And so that's kind of one of the things with my, my Instagram handle, where I wanted to start sharing the process and the story from the early stages. So people can follow along the journey.
1: Yeah. And that's a good point because I think when people think real estate investing multifamily can come off as such a, um, you know, such a high set goal or such a high bar or something that's so far out of reach, getting into real estate investing, most people don't look to just start with multifamily. You know, they like kind of go through the, the natural progression. You know, you start as a house with a house hack or something like that, or single family. But uh, let's, I guess, let's get into that. Where did, you know, you're on multifamily now. Is that where you did start day one? Can you tell us a little bit about the background, the backstory, how you got into real estate investing and what that looked like?
0: Yeah, for sure. Day one, um, our very first real estate investment outside of our own personal home uh, was actually a house flip. And uh, we were in oil and gas heavily with our business. We've been self-employed for a number of years and uh, things had hit a wall in the economy here in Canada and especially in the oil and gas sector. And we'd done well. Um, And then we actually wound up with like our backs up against the wall, not necessarily pinned there, but just kind of, we got duped by another company. And our choice at that point was to like figure it out or kind of like pivot in some way. So I guess it's pivot or pivot, but uh, we wound up deciding to finally act on our dream of getting into real estate investing. And that was a house flip. And at that time, we really only knew two streams of real estate investing, which was flipping or rentals, but we didn't really realize how much there is out there. And so we dove headfirst into our very first flip the summer of 2018, And then we flipped into 2019, we did our next one. And then at that point, we realized that a lot of what we do in life is simply a decision. So at the beginning of 2019, we actually made the decision that we want to pursue multifamily instead of stepping our way in. So we always thought we'd flip our way into multifamily. Um, But then as we gained tools and understanding and learned a lot about the real estate investment community, we realized we didn't have to wait till we made it to the set place or had a portfolio a certain size. We could actually just start in multifamily real estate. So our very first rental uh was in 2020. We closed April 1st, just a train wreck in the world <laughs> end of 2020. And we closed on that very first multifamily, our first rental property was a 12-door property in a great location in a in a good sized city, uh, a great quality property that we're still really excited about.
1: Wow, that's awesome. That's a So you guys moved quick. So you went from, you started in 2018 and uh, you started with flips and then your, your actual first rental property was a 12 unit, huh? 12 door. Yes. Yeah. Kind of a
0: big, like, I think it was a lot of mindset more than anything where we just, and then obviously using the tools, but realizing that the only limiting thing preventing us from making those steps was our own personal belief system. And uh, once we set our mind to it and actually started working out the tools that we had Gained or learned through knowledge and uh, different, whether it's podcasts or networking, um, or we did actually have a coach. But combining all those things, we were able to act and move ahead.
1: Yeah, I mean, you brought up you brought up tools. I mean, that's a good that's a good point because you know when we first start anything, we have a whatever that understanding of it is. But as we go through the process, you know, in the experience and gain the experiences and experience, and as we learn. You know, our, our thought process changes, you know, so, and, and instead of trying to force something that maybe you originally thought you were, you know, you had a plan instead of trying to force that as you learn more and you gain more information, you know, it's okay to pivot if you realize that there might be a better way and an easier way. And that, again, that's, I talk about it a lot. That's the great thing about real estate investing is that there's not, there's like, there's a, so many different ways to do things. There's so many different types of real estate investing. And there's so many different ways to reach you know, the same goal. So that's a good point. And I like the way you put that with, with tools, because that, like you said, like as you're learning and as you're gaining these experiences, those are like more tools in the toolbox. And the more tools you have, typically the more you can accomplish and set your sights, I guess, higher. And I love it uh, sounds like that's what you did with multifamily. So, okay. So when you first jump, jumped into real estate investing, you said you made the transition from your, your previous career, your previous business into real estate, did you guys have apprehension getting into it? You know, did you do a lot of research or, or learning or what did that taking that first step look like? And what, you know, what was it that, you know, pushed you over the edge to dive in and, and actually take the first step?
0: You know, we had gone to pull the trigger on a flip a few times and the time just wasn't right. Like we were a young family, like our kids were all under five years old. We had three of the, we have three little ones and uh, at the time and uh, everything is busy right you know we're self-employed you know things are kind of moving we had relocated you know a few hours away to a new city There was all kinds of things happening that it was just like okay maybe when our kids are a little older when life is a little bit more stable when we have more time and so really what got us to get going was simply that there is no more projects right now <laughs> we're not sure where the next project is coming from we need to make a project And so for us it was kind of like we need to do something and we've been talking about this we've run the numbers we know how to run the numbers on a flip um it's time to actually put it into action and so that was kind of what we did to say that it was all like you know 100 excitement for me maybe um my husband was a little bit terrified along the way and i mean there's hesitations and there's like okay did i did i run my numbers correctly this is the first big project you know um outside of our personal residence right so there was a lot of pressure and I think it was just like going back to the numbers and saying like, I'm good at budgets. I know how to do that for construction stuff. Um, so it's kind of one of those things where did we know everything 100% in action in true real life? Maybe, maybe not, but at the same time, it was kind of like pushing through that and going back to those numbers and saying, look, the numbers say this, we have lots of room, you know, I call it, screw up room or mess up room but you know you you put those barriers into your deals to make sure that there's padding so that it's kind of fail proof and uh, look for the win and so that's kind of what we did went head first into this project um and it was very successful our first deal was i would say a solid run um for your first go and we were pretty excited and that gave us definitely the momentum to keep going
1: yeah, that's good. I mean, you're you nailed it on the head. I think for a lot of people getting started, you know, that apprehension of screwing up, or if you have everything right, you know, do you have? Did you run the numbers right? Are you missing something? And then there's that fear that maybe you did miss something, or what might happen if you go through with it? Uh, but I, I'm actually I've been reading. Uh, it's a great book called Wealth Can't Wait. I actually read it before, but I'm doing it again uh, by David Osborne, and I think I forget who the other author is, but. He there's a part in the book where they talk about, you know, when they're making any decision, they look at three things. They look at what's the worst case scenario, like what's the absolute worst that can happen. Then the second step is to take, take a look at what's the best case scenario. Like what's the upside here. And then the third thing is what's most likely to actually happen, you know, and then like in the case of a flip, you know, the worst case is you don't make any money or you lose money. But to your point, when you're running your numbers, and I do this too, you factor in almost the worst case scenario to put you at zero. I always try to look at... I always do my analysis to where if this is an absolute disaster, what do I have to do to just make sure I can sell it and break even, right? And if it doesn't work, if there's too much risk there and I can't comfortably know I can sell it at, at, at zero, then I, I kind of move on. But So that's the first thing I look at is like, what's the worst case? It's losing all your money or losing all your investors' money, right? Well, We try to avoid that by making sure we build it into the into the analysis the best case is that it goes smooth and you know hits the markets under contract in the first day and you make more money than you thought you were which that can happen too Um, but most likely the the third scenario is that you know you got everything fairly close on your analysis you you put it up on the market it sells and you make fairly close to what you uh estimated right that's at least that's what i found when i flip houses
0: yeah. Like that was totally what we did too. There was actually a few times, I like how you say you look at the three options because that's something we've done is when we've gotten terrified, like making that big jump into, let's say multifamily, that was our first mortgage that was that big. Like it was tremendous <laughs> compared to anything we'd had before. And that gives you heart palpitations. And then it was like, okay, stop for a second, go back to the numbers, best case, middle case, worst case, you've already run that. What does it tell you? And I love that. It's just looking at Worst case scenario, what happens here in this deal when you're running your numbers? And and same thing with that first flip. We looked at it the same way. We had three options to move ahead on the property in three different ways. Each way one. And even if we kind of goofed up on our numbers on the flip pretty significantly, I built in room for that contingency fund. I built in room. I was very conservative on our sale price because it was our first deal. I didn't want to be like aggressive on the sale price and then wind up stuck. Um, and so we ran our numbers pretty good with spreads, and that really gave us the confidence to just keep going forward and get really excited about it too. Because it was just like you can't lose. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I love it. I mean, that's that's perfect. Because you know, I I, I flip houses here just outside the D.C. market, and it's it's the same exact it's the same exact scenario. Whether it's multifamily or flipping houses, you know, you you look at the different possibilities. Right. And then you determine if the upside it's there's always going to come some there's always going to be some risk there. But you determine if that upside potential is worth the risk for what the downside potential, you know, could potentially could potentially bear. But, you, you know, you call it a uh, screw up fund. I, you just mentioned contingencies. That's the way I run my numbers when I'm looking at my improvement costs. You know, I factor in a contingency amount at the bottom, whether that's a percentage or whatever, but it's it's fluff. You know, and that I want for the listeners at home. I want them to really take um, note of that because I talk about you know analyzing deals a lot and knowing your numbers. And the the reason for that is because it helps you avoid that worst case scenario of potentially losing money. So when you're getting started, build in. Don't keep your numbers tight. Don't ever fudge your numbers to make a deal work just because you want it to. You know, you might be excited. You you have this opportunity. But if the numbers aren't working on paper or on your spreadsheet or whatever, or whatever calculator you're using, you know, don't change them, don't force it, because that's how you do get in trouble. You build it out with excess, right? You make sure there's extra room for mistakes or for things that get missed. But like you said, when you look at it and every scenario is painting a picture of like, I can't really lose on this, or the way I do it, where it's basically the, the loss is just the break even and my time was wasted. You know, then it it, change, it paints a different picture when you're getting, you know, when you're when you're moving into that opportunity. That you know, it, it takes some of that apprehension out. Uh, and you mentioned now going into the multifamily, which I I, I want to I definitely want to get to multifamily with multifamily, Amanda. But I do want to ask you a few more questions about flipping because you know you ha- it sounds like you guys have some experience there. Do you did you guys do the work yourself? Did you guys have contractors? Like, how did your kind of flipping business initially? Um, go when you guys were flipping?
0: Um, Our first property. So we kind of did a hybrid model. I enjoy hands-on construction stuff. I think my husband hates the demolition um, and I'm over demolition too. (laughs) So our first one, we did all the demo and then afterwards we're like, why didn't we just bring in to do
1: that? It's fun at first, but (laughs) then it turns into actual work. (laughs)
0: you have to clean it up. That's the worst part um, So we kind of did a hybrid model to keep things on track. We're very skilled um, We are capable of you know building things finished like we're, I'm very good at the finish side. I like that kind of thing. Um, but at the same time we know there's parts that we don't like. So we really did we brought in like electrical and plumbing um, the trades type stuff, you know, we brought in some of the odd stuff to do that. We just don't, the things on our first project, I would say that we were really intentional about hiring out was the stuff we didn't enjoy, like the stuff that would be a drag. And like, we know that for the sake of our marriage, us drywalling together is a disaster. So we just don't touch that. (laughs) We learned that a long time ago.
1: (laughs) That's a good, that's a good lesson.
0: (laughs) But it's kind of one of those things where like, To keep on track, we did do a lot ourselves on the first project, um, but we brought in trades to keep the project moving. So we were in and out in eight weeks on the whole project, Um, you know, full renovation. I was a smaller house. uh, And then we brought in people like whether it was hiring somebody to clean up the yard or bringing in a crew to help lay the sod or stuff like that. So I'd say we managed a lot of it. Um, We were definitely there a lot. We did have our kids, you know, we had either childcare or maybe they'd be hanging out with us, you know, once we were done the really dirty stuff, Um, you know, that kind of thing. So I think there's like so many ways to do it. It depends on what your personal goals are and your personal skill sets, and being very aware of what your skills are. So we've had experience, we're good at it. You know, we can put out a quality product. We're good moving ahead. The next project, once again, we hired even more out um alongside of us to keep things moving along again so we are you know deleting ourselves out more and more and i think that's kind of how we operate it's like if we have the time or it makes sense to do it or we're going to still enjoy it and it's not a complete drag we'll probably do it to some degree um but as we grow and scale we also know that we can't be putting baseboards on forever, or even if I do enjoy woodworking, it doesn't mean that I'm going to do that on all of our projects. So it's kind of being aware of our skill sets, but also being aware of timelines and the importance of keeping a project moving.
1: Yeah, it's uh, that bigger picture. Don't lose sight of the bigger picture, the bigger goal, you know, and, and, what you just said also about the fact that you know you started to outsource the stuff that you didn't like or you didn't enjoy or maybe you weren't as good at, that's allowing you to do the things that you are good at or you do enjoy more efficiently. So that's, a, again, as you're moving along and learning and gaining these tools, making decisions and pivoting this to whatever in the direction to what works the best for you guys. Uh, so that's a lot of good stuff there. I want to, that's going to, that's a perfect transition now, I think, into the multifamily. So it doesn't sound like you when you guys first started back in 2018, you hundred percent started with that intention of going into multifamily. but as you guys started into your journey of real estate investing and you gained these experiences and you learned different things and you started picking up these tools in your toolbox, what what was it that you know struck you that multifamily was the way to go where where, where in that process or what was it that, moved you away from flipping houses and into or wanting to get into the multifamily
0: i think it it actually goes back a few a couple more years before that um back in 2016 i was on youtube watching i don't know whether it was some sort of investing videos or something and just kind of getting the the whole excitement ball rolling that one day we're going to be real estate investors and we didn't really know what that looked like but and this this video came up in the sidebar as a suggestion saying like why you should invest in multifamily or something like that and I clicked on it because I had no idea kind of had a picture of an apartment building and you know whoever the guy was and um, I watched the video and he broke down the numbers and he was taking calls and running people's deals live on his his like podcast live stream thing and uh, I was like he ran the numbers of multifamily how you do value add how you make how do you add value and grow your wealth in multifamily real estate and I was like oh my goodness, this is amazing. I I never even considered like how apartment buildings worked, right. Or even thought about them. And so that was kind of the first time where I got really excited. And I was like, Oh my gosh, Kurt, you got to watch this video with me. You got to check this out. And so we got really excited. And so the whole idea he was like, you know, you start, you can't, if you don't have the money to get started in, you know, 12, 16 units, then, you know, start with two and flip your way up and, and make your way to the multifamily space. So I think it's been in the back of our minds that one day I just don't think we ever imagined that one day would be as soon as it was, you know, getting that first one in 2020, especially after just starting in 18, like summer of 18. Um, that definitely wasn't a thing yet. It was like, okay, we're working our way. And I know we were talking about it while we were working on that first flip and, and my husband and I were listening to audiobooks and kind of getting excited about like our future and what we were building. And, uh, yeah. So it's kind of this process, I guess, where we caught this thought by somebody sharing some knowledge and breaking down the process. And suddenly it didn't seem like that big of a deal, it was something tangible and reachable eventually one day.
1: Yeah. And that sounds like that one day came sooner than you expected. But it sounds like you almost did implement a strategy, though. So you you started flipping. And is that kind of what happened? You You raised capital or you started making money from flipping and decided to now we have enough? Or was it just that maybe an opportunity came across?
0: I think it was an opportunity to some degree. So during the flipping process, we got to know other people. We started to get to know real estate investors. We didn't know anybody who was real estate investing in our circle at all. Um, It was kind of an anomaly, I'll say, in our group. Um, And then we got to know people. And along the way, people were seeing that we were doing stuff and we were in action mode and things were happening. And so somebody had actually reached out to us to partner with us uh, potentially on a deal. And we had talked about how we want to move into multifamily and they were interested in being an, a capital partner. And so we were kind of, and that's kind of actually what opened us up to moving into multi a little sooner was that we were potentially going to have a partner. And so we just didn't know what to do with that because we had run solo. We weren't familiar with creative financing. We weren't, familiar with partnerships, joint venture, any of that kind of thing. And so we were kind of at this point where we're like, okay, that's great, but we don't know how to make this equitable. We don't know what's fair. We don't know. We just don't, you don't know what you don't know. And so not having anyone around us that was partnering or doing that kind of thing, we were just kind of like, what? how do you break this up between the active partner and like a more passive role partner? And that's kind of where we pivoted and started learning some new knowledge that partner wound up not doing our first deal with us i mean i think it's at the end of the day when it's your first deal like that's a lot of people going like (laughs) "Whoo, that's your first one i don't know if i want to be number one and that's fair so that's something we wound up i think just him approaching us and us opening to that we decided to move into multifamily a whole lot sooner and so we wound up moving head on that first deal solo and we were able to do some creative strategies that we learned along the way through our new network um, and close on that first deal. And I think that just set us up to keep growing where now people are like, okay, you know, they have an idea of how this goes together. They've been through the process, they're doing it again. And now we just did it again. And so I think it's really starting to tip off radars. So I wouldn't say that flipping necessarily put the capital in to go and do these, like, I mean, that was only a one year, well, not even, I think it was about six months, eight months between that and us making the decision to move into multifamily with the flips. Um, But I think it just kind of gave us the push because of the people that we were starting to get around and some of the knowledge that we picked up along the way that we're like, okay, maybe we should pursue this avenue because this is actually where we want to go.
1: Yeah, I love it. I mean, there's so much there. I'm going to try to reset kind of in a minute, but I I have to, to hit on what you just said about entering into different circles and networking, you know, and that's, I talk about this so much on the podcast. It's like, just actually getting started, even if you're not doing a deal, but going to local real estate meetups, you know, networking with different people, even getting on the Invest Nest, creating a profile, going on Instagram, following you know other real estate investors, messaging them. I mean, having the conversations about real estate is actually in meeting the different people that do it and networking with them is actually what's most likely going to bring you the opportunity you know? So, and you learn more, there's things that you didn't know you needed to learn. Like you just said, when you were flipping houses and you're thinking, yeah, multifamily sounds like a great thing. There's so much more to it than just maybe analyzing the deal or or the property, but you got to now figure out how to incorporate financial partners, unless you have all that capital and what that's going to look like and how those returns are going to, you know, there's a lot to it, which it's exciting and it's cool for some people, but you guys probably didn't even realize you needed to, know all that stuff until somebody approached you and then you said okay this sounds great but how are we going to make this work so i mean i think that's just so it holds so true for so many of us me personally it sounds like you too once you just get started it's like a it's like a domino tipping and then another domino falls and it keeps going and going and going and you know doors open you learn more you meet people and then opportunities just start to present themselves uh and I, I mean, I, I don't know that just that struck me as a great point because it's 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 so it's so true with with, you know, you also strike me as like an, a very analytical person and a numbers oriented person. And that's how I am. Like, I like I like to dig into numbers and, and spreadsheets. And that's kind of what caught my attention in multifamily. You know, once you kind of learn the, the financial modeling behind it and how it actually works with partners and other people's money and capital. and the benefits that can go along with it—that's what got me excited. I think that's what gets a lot of people excited about multifamily, and and then that that just made another thing pop in my head about real estate investing. And we talk about you know financing it and using other people's money or OPM. It is true that when you move into the multifamily or the larger deals, they are more capital intensive, right? So you even if you're investing in a flip or maybe a single family rental or a couple of duplexes or something like that, you know, and you're bringing other partners on and there's other equity involved. It's still a big deal then too. But when you move into multifamily, you're, not, you're adding a couple more zeros and it, it, it becomes a, a lot more scrutinized. But the fact that that person reached out to you and that drove you to learn how to, to do it and how to structure it and what it means to have other people come in as typically an equity partner. I'm guessing that allowed, that gave you some confidence as Seth told you, even even though I haven't done it before, I know enough about this now that I can go present to somebody and it's gonna be a win-win for everybody across the board.
0: Totally, I mean, it definitely set the ball in motion to learn it a lot sooner. And then along the way we learned about creative financing, all those kinds of wonderful things uh, that happen a lot in the multifamily space. There's something that I learned on that first multifamily was that had we never taken that first step to putting in the offer and getting this deal because it just we had analyzed a lot of deals at this point. we had actually walked away from one that was a little bit deflating during due diligence, but it made sense. You got to trust the numbers. But this next deal that we were under contract, the numbers were so good that we were like, we're going to close this one way or another. And we weren't sure exactly what that would look like, um, especially once our, our capital partner was like, I don't know, or he wasn't ready to commit quite yet, which was fine. Um, but we had to pivot and figure it out very quickly. And that's kind of one of the things that we learned along the way that had we never taken that first step, we wouldn't have had to need to know what the next step was because you didn't take that first one. And so each time we took a step forward in that deal and just figured out what we needed to do to fill in the puzzle piece, eventually, at the end of the day, we wound up closing on that deal for ourselves, which wasn't necessarily the intent. But, It just kind of worked out that way. And that was using some creative strategies, buying a quality deal. And the thing I love about commercial real estate is at the end of the day, the bank has to believe in the business model because that's really what it is that you're presenting to them on the lending side. So however you structure it creatively, our lender actually approved it all along the whole way. And they want to see that, yeah, it's still cash flows. It's a viable business there's a future in this property. And at the end of it, in five years time or whatever your timeline is, you are gonna be able to return the capital to who needs to be or replace the capital. And so that's the one thing that I love about commercial real estate is even though you can get creative, unless you're going in on an all cash deal, when you're bringing in a lender, they're still looking at your business model. They're still seeing, hey, is this a viable business? Do the numbers make sense? And should you go ahead and should we lend on it? And so you kind of get that added boost of confidence when you present it to the lender this is what i'm doing this is my plan this is how everything's getting returned this is the cash flow projections and then putting the market data so you're using the data the analysis size side pardon me to prove that the business model makes sense and off of that they're willing to lend on that so i like to say that even though we were rookies on our first deal we didn't present ourselves as rookies and i think a lot of that had to do with how many people we got to know through the process who also own multifamily. So we're able to like bounce off, you know, our numbers and say, Hey, like, am I out to lunch? Does this make sense? And then my favorite one was there was someone who we had gotten to know who closed the property in the same area a few months ahead of us. And as soon as he closed, maybe a couple months later, I called him up and I just said, what came at you that you had no idea was coming? Because it's not what you do know that can get you in trouble. It's what you don't know. And sometimes you simply don't know what you don't know. And having that conversation and being able to go through point by point, all of the closing curveballs or different things that came up through due diligence. I was literally able to add that to our list and like, okay, yeah, I got that. Yeah, I got that. Ooh, I didn't really, and adjust the numbers where we needed to. And so it gave us a PowerPoint, but I think that comes back to the whole thing of networking again. Had we not gotten to know all of these people during that time period with multifamily we couldn't have been nearly as confident going into that first deal
1: yeah i mean well said i mean and that's the thing like you, once you learn something new then you it takes you on to the next step where there might be things that you don't know yet but you wouldn't have gotten there if you hadn't taken this, the previous step right and then so now it's on to your, your now you're on to the next step or the next phase and now it's time to learn about that and learn you know what we need to to Figure out, how, figure out how we can make this work, right? And by going through the process is really how we gain the experience and the knowledge and the ability to do this stuff. And so that I think like when people talk about getting started in real estate investing, you know, you hear about, you know, analysis paralysis or getting bogged down with reading too many books and this and that and the other, you can read, you can learn as much as you can, but you're never gonna learn as much as you will when you're actually doing it, because there's so much that you don't know that you're gonna have to learn yet. That's not in the book. Be- because no two deals are alike, right? There's, they, each one comes with its own set of circumstances and problems that need to be solved. And, and kind of just by going through that process and solving the problems, you're, you're figuring it out, right? You're learning how to do it. And even if, like you said, that, uh, that other one you backed out of, even if you go all the way up to that point, you still gained a world of knowledge and experience just going through that process, analyzing it, figure out figuring out the loan side, figuring out the partnership side, figuring out all these pieces to the puzzle like you said so that when you went to the second one although you guys are rookies you have you have some knowledge about about it because you went through the process Uh, and another good point that you brought up was about how the multifamily lending works you know it's not as directly dependent upon the borrower as far as like their credit score goes or their personal income like it would be when you're buying a house or a car they're looking, like you said, at the business plan or the finances behind the asset or behind the building. Is this building going to pay for itself? They're not expecting the borrower to be able to pay the mortgage out of their income from their job or whatever. You know, they need to make sure the building's going to pay for itself. The thing that they need to make the most sure about the borrower is that they're not going to screw it up. So, so as long as the building is working and it's performing and it's meeting all their thresholds, and, you know, and make sure that they've got their buffers built in, you know, they're going to lend on it and it's your job. To present that information to them, and then they do their underwriting as well to just make sure it it checks out. But I think that because you know we were talking about more capital intense um, you know investments with larger multifamilies, but at the same time they, they in a certain regard they can be easier uh, than the smaller deals because it is less uh, dependent on the person itself to you know whether it's a flip or you got to prove that you can actually do the contracting work or make sure you can get it done and so on and so forth But the building it's kind of cut and dry you do the financial modeling behind it you do the analysis and it either works or it doesn't work you know and there's some assumptions you plug in there as long as they're not too lofty you know then and then that's what the due diligence period is right you go through and you research it and you verify but if everything checks out the bank is happy to lend on it because it's it's a performing asset right so good point there um and now back i, I want to just kind of dig into where you are, where you guys are with multifamily. I kind of started off, uh, I alluded to it a minute ago with you striking me as like a numbers person uh, and, and very analytical. Um, is that what does it for you? Is that what kind of drove you to the multifamily? Because it did it, did it to me, like I, once I started learning about how it works and uh, the kind of the process of multifamily and there's usually a plan to it, you know, when you start and then you can redistribute that capital or take that capital back uh, was that what did it for you or what? I know you talked about kind of the why, but am I, am I on the right track there? Is that, is there something to that?
0: Yeah. Like the numbers side, I always call it the inner nerd, the nerdy side. (laughs) I love it. It's so it's, it's cut and dry. It's very practical. It's, you know, you're not banking on market appreciation. I mean, some regards with rents, market rents can adjust and stuff like that, but for the most part it's very much something you can calculate and know where this investment is going to go and that's what i love about multifamily real estate that's what i love about real estate in general but multifamily just seems to really be a lot easier in terms of the numbers side and being able to grow and scale. The other thing too with that is uh, the lending side. You know, I hear constantly, you know, oh, I can get four houses or I can get 10 houses, or I can do this to maybe pivot and get more houses, but it's also slow. So <laughs> you're kind of like you're picking up one property, two properties, three. And, you know, and some people just want a small portfolio or they just want single family houses and there's, that's okay. Um, but the thing I love about it is we're self-employed. We have been for a number of years. Um, So we don't like to have a really high personal income. So that's the other thing too, is that you are stuck in the single family space of, you know, you have to increase your personal income in order to keep qualifying for the mortgages in some way, shape or form. Whereas the commercial space, I could, if I could find 10 great deals and capitalize all 10 great deals with a good business model in the same year, I can go buy 10 $1 million deals in the same year. And that's to say, if, you know, you only qualify for one $1 million deal. So that's one thing I don't, I'm not sure in the US it's similar, but up here you kind of have to have a net worth qualifier, which isn't very much. Um, So let's say your net worth qualifies you to buy a $1 million building. Well, you could buy 10 $1 million buildings in that same year if you can figure out how to finance them. Where in the multifamily space, if you can qualify for $1 million in mortgages, that's it, that's, you're done. And in the multifamily space, as you grow, your cap goes higher. So you can buy multiples of that same size of building. And that's not to say you have to buy your max every time, but it, it kind of gives you this, this freedom to keep growing without there being that limitation of being capped out or bogged down. Um, and it's just a really fun process. I, I thoroughly enjoy the process of the acquisition of a multifamily. Um, it's kind of deflating after you, like it's, it's owned and it's operating because there's not really much going on. You know, you're not you can hire out more stuff in the multifamily because you're planning that into your numbers. Anyways, you should be on the single family, but often people aren't. Um, And so there's a lot of things with multifamily gives you the freedom to keep scaling and growing because you're buying based on being able to hire your team to do a lot of the stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. And the inner nerd in me is coming out too, because like it's this, it's a you're 100% right with the running the numbers and the analyzing things. It's like binary. It either works or it doesn't work. It's there's not as much fluff. There's certain boxes that have to be checked. There's certain thresholds that have to be met. Uh, And like you said, there are some assumptions that need to be made. But whether it's the rent increases or what have you, that's more so more so for like your appreciation when you're calculating out into the the future, like your forced appreciation or you're going for that value, that equity kicker. But it is true. It's like when it comes to the multifamily, there there are very important aspects to it. But if those are met, it can be easier in in a lot of ways than smaller deals or or financing smaller deals. And, And the fact that you said the net worth requirement, it is similar in the US, there are net worth requirements and liquidity requirements. But that's the thing, once you meet them, it's not just for one deal. It's for however many deals you can find, and and like you said, it can capitalize with with, and that can be done through partners. Even you can meet your net worth and your liquidity requirements through partners. So there's people out there, they're high net worth net worth individuals that will take a piece of equity of, of your investment just by offering up them to the deal or being a part of the the um, you know the the purchasing party and. They're checking the, the net worth and the liquidity box and they're just getting money for it, you know, whether they're putting any of their own actual capital into it or not. So it could work a lot of different ways. And that's what's so exciting about it is, and I and you hit again, you hit it on the head. It's it's the fact that it allows you to it can allow you to scale so much more quicker, as opposed to you know, how many single families or how many smaller properties um, you're able to do in a certain period of time. With multifamily, I think you can scale to a level much quicker. That's why you hear a lot of people on, on interviews and that write books that, you know, go from hardly any to 500 units or 800 units, because once you understand how it works and the mechanisms behind it, there's not really, you don't, you don't run into a a ceiling. There's not really a ceiling there. It's kind of unlimited once you, again, you check all those boxes.
0: I think I want to add to that because I, I was going to say you can find that partner for the net worth and liquidity. And that's what I love about real estate is like if there's a barrier and that's something we've learned over the last couple of years. If there's a barrier preventing you from moving forward, there's a way to find a partner or find somebody a who, if you want to put it, to plug that void. And so there is really no excuse if your desire truly is to move into a certain area, whether it is maybe your first flip or it is multifamily or whatever it is, you can always find a partner to fill the void, whether it's actually through joint ventureship, or it could just be somebody who's contributing something that you're still moving ahead solo. So there's so many different ways to do it. The other thing with multifamily that I love though, and we're talking about just plugging in and finding people to fill the voids, lenders as a whole love multifamily real estate. And I'm pretty sure in the US it's similar to Canada a lot with this, but the default rates for multifamily real estate are some, I think believe it's the lowest in all of the asset classes. So banks and lenders love multifamily as long as the numbers are run correctly. And it's a very stable asset class. I know back in the, the 2008 housing crash, um, which was definitely harder down there. Same thing, like multifamily real estate, rents didn't crash with that. They stayed steady or increased, you know, as people were moving into the rental realm. And so it's something to keep in mind that as a stable asset class, and even when you're building these creative strategies and you're you're running your numbers correctly, it's very stable for the long-term growth too. So that's kind of one of the things that I get excited about is just lenders love it. I love it. It's like a match made in heaven.
1: Yeah, it's perfect. And you're right. That's a great point. The less affordable housing becomes or the or the more difficult... It becomes for people to buy houses that only drives the rental market higher or more demand for rents. You know, when and back in 2008, when things crashed, people had a hard time purchasing. Obviously, it became came almost to a screeching halt. Well, what's the alternative? People still need a place to live, so they have to rent. So while the, the residential market took a massive downturn, the the multifamily kept humming along, if not you know got stronger. Um, and even with this last year with the pandemic. You know i think there was a lot of concern in the multifamily, really just in the real estate investing community itself There's, there still is to an extent but within the multifamily space of all these potential massive defaults you know and i'm sure there are some, some instances but i don't think it happened the way a lot of people feared it was going to happen and it seems like we're kind of getting to the other side of that which is great for many reasons but um, yeah, all, all great points as to why multifamily is such a powerful uh, investment vehicle. So, okay, now let's talk about you guys. So you in 2020, you got your first multifamily. It was the 12-door. Where, where are you guys at now? Like, what, what's your portfolio size like?
0: We have 24 doors uh, in the multifamily space. We just picked up a second 12-unit property um, in February here. End of February, we just closed on it. So pretty new to the portfolio. Nice,
1: congratulations.
0: Thank you. And uh, and then we also have a land development that we've been working on in the background, um, and we're splitting off a total of fifteen lots off of a property uh, that we had purchased. So that's kind of our twofold part. Is you know the some of it, it's kind of I guess a flip in in a little bit different, I guess, with land development. Um, But that's something that we've been kind of running around. In the background. Wow.
1: That's awesome. So you're doing a whole development deal then. Yeah. So like that's it is like you said, it's 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 like a repositioning of a property, but there's no property. It's just the land, but you're you're basically more or less repurposing it. So I mean, I think we might have to save that one for another podcast, but I would love to have you back and talk about that because that interests me a lot. I do I do some new home construction as well, like spec building and land is just as hard to find around here in our market as as housing is at the moment. And that's some of the things that you know investors, uh, I know myself, are thinking about: is how can we either you know rezone existing prop- uh, land uses or subdivide, you know? And a lot of that's already happened in our in our market. The subdivision process has happened, but there are still some spot lots, some infill lots around that somebody may have just owned for a long, long, long time, with which is larger in size with a house on it, and they either don't realize or don't care that they might be able to cut it up to, to two or three lots, you know, and sell the land off. So that's very interesting. Um, I'd love to have you back to talk about that again, but that's awesome. So 24 doors and you started in 2020, it's 2021. Yeah. Uh, you guys are on a he- heck of a pace, a hell of a pace here, um, which is <laughs> awesome and impressive. And and what's the goal from here? Like, obviously you're working on this, this uh, subdivision, this development deal, this land deal, but where are you guys headed? Like, what do you see coming down the, down the pipe?
0: Um, very, very large portfolio. You know, we have some interesting goals or dreams and stuff that, you know, maybe even going back to childhood that you have these kind of random ideas and you think like, oh, it'd be cool to do this one day. And then we're realizing like, you know what? That's actually kind of what we're doing right now. We're growing into. So let's add that to the list back to the list again. Um, so this year, I guess our number one goal Yes, we talk lots about doors in real estate. We all wanna have more doors, but at the end of the day, I would rather have fewer doors with more cash flow in terms of like, what am I getting in terms of numbers um, than bracing to the top for numbers. So in 2020, we would like to see 50 doors added to our portfolio. Um, but our number one goal is to completely move our personal income that we live off of to the passive side in, in 2021 um i know that was something we wanted to do in 2020 we just could not hunt all of the buildings down that we wanted to and and that's the one thing is that we're looking for the right properties and deals that make sense and we're okay you know not rushing into a deal that doesn't make sense doesn't have the value add doesn't fit our criteria so it might be a good deal for someone else with a a different plan in mind but we have a very specific goal and a very specific criteria for our our growth that we want to keep hitting in order to keep growing. So we would like to see 50 doors and our personal income being completely from passive sources by the end of 2021.
1: Awesome. Yeah, and you're right. I mean it's not about the number of doors, it's really about the cash flow. It's how much money you're making. And the other thing we haven't even talked about with multifamily are the is the big net worth boosts that that yeah. come along with it. So I would imagine, you know, 2018, 19 when you're flipping, that's basically transactional income. You're not really you know, increasing your your net worth, other than maybe have whatever cash is in the bank, but the the multifamily or the the you know whether even if it's residential buy and holds, that's where you start moving things to the balance sheet as opposed to the profit and loss, and your your equity starts to build up or your net worth starts to build up. So I imagine as fast as you guys have moved from 2020 to 2021, going from zero doors to 12, then 24. I'm sure you guys are seeing that net worth boost, uh, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, yeah, we are kind of giggling because well, in the commercial space, they often lenders request an annual net worth statement to update, make sure you're not in trouble or anything's going sideways in your personal life. And so we're coming up on the one year mark here in April, April 1st, um, just a couple weeks away. And so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to the lender putting out the request for the net worth statement. <laughs> Cause I'm like, what just happened? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, and that's kind of one of the things that attract us to the long term buy and hold is like the flips. You know, my husband and I, we've always worked hard. Uh, he was in the trades. I've been a stay at home mom since we had little ones. Um, and we, yeah, you know, you're working alongside your spouse or your partner um, in, in the business, even as when you are a stay at home parent. But at the same time, you know, we were both trades background. I was a heavy equipment operator. I worked at a, in a at a mine an open pit mine and it was a great job but and we both know how to work our tail off we are you know strong work ethics you know not afraid to get our hands dirty you know that kind of thing but at the end of the day it's like that's all we've ever known is exchanging time for money that's always what we've done and that's kind of where we've pivoted into multifamily and into the long-term buy and hold and why that's so important to us is that we want to get out of that cycle and start to see some compounding. Yeah, like you know, we've worked hard and then you put some money away. You work hard, and you put some more money away, but it's just not scalable and it doesn't compound at the same rate as buy and hold investments. Um, in, in especially in real estate, where you can leverage so much and still have a lot of stability in your portfolio, still have equity. You know, you can buy your equity in on your deals if you're buying right, um, or you're adding value after the buy. So there's just there's so many ways to scale i guess and that's one of our big things with multifamily is just being able to stop the cycle of exchanging time for money
1: yeah there's a lot of good stuff there and it, you also did i just real quickly you mentioned earlier too that it's not for everybody you know people that are are building single family or or small duplex duplexes well, there's nothing wrong with that either you know whatever is in your comfort zone or what you you feel the best, you know the, the um that it suits your strengths you know the most and reaches your goals. There's nothing wrong with that. I think the point about multifamily is that if you're looking to scale and do things quicker and maybe on a larger level, then you know the mult the larger multifamily space really really suits well to that. Um,
0: Speaking to that, I just want to add something. Sure. In this journey, I met some other people just starting in multifamily real estate, and there's another lady is she got into it because she realized her retirement wasn't taken care of. Her and her husband had worked and saved, worked and saved, and the retirement wasn't taken care of. And the thing was, is they realized multifamily real estate was what they wanted to do. So she went out in her first year, got 16 units. And she was, she was talking about potentially doing some private capital for another deal of so not as an equity partner, but just as a capital partner. Um, and like a private money lender type thing. And uh, anyway, she suddenly dawned on her that, in her own real estate portfolio that she was growing, she didn't want anymore. And she was like, she was all excited about multifamily at the beginning, but she realized what she was really excited about was her retirement and her future. And once she'd gone out in one year and picked up 16 units on her own, same kind of deal, um, she realized, I don't actually wanna grow anymore. I don't want any more buildings. I'm happy with my 16 units. It's taking care of my future. Now I have the freedom to leave my job that I didn't love and go pursue something that I want to. And so it's really about lifestyle design. What do you want for yourself? And if it is, you you find a ton of joy in houses and you want five houses to take care of your future and that's all you want. I always hammer down on what is it that somebody wants just because I'm going after multifamily, just because you're an, like an excellent flipper and you're moving into the multifamily space doesn't mean every other flipper needs to leave flipping and go into the multi-space. It just simply means making the choice for our own lives and actually thinking through at the end of the day what is it that my life looks like 10 years from now five years from now what does my life look like and then putting the pieces in along the way to get there so i loved it i celebrated with her i was like this is so amazing in one year you went and took care of your retirement you know you're closing in you're less than 10 years from that deadline of that retirement age that everybody kind of targets at 65 you know but <laughs> But it's like in one year, you went and took care of that and it's done. It's finished. And now you have the freedom to go do whatever you want to do all over again. And there's so much life ahead of you yet. And so that's kind of the part I love about real estate is it's you can really tailor it to what do you want as an individual?
1: Yeah, that's great. I wish I could have celebrated with you guys. That sounds awesome. I mean, (laughs) I mean, that's the beauty of real estate. I mean, you really, there are unlimited possibilities. There's challenges, but you can do so much and you said it perfectly, it's really what any one person is after or what their goals are. Uh, and that's going to kind of tie me into the last kind of um, topic I want to get to with you. And, you know, we've talked about so many good things today about taking action. And once you do, you know, the things that you learn and how that kind of propels us forward. And then in, in addition to that, meeting different people once you get started, the networking aspect and how that brings opportunities, um, a lot of good stuff. But you know the, the question i want to ask you now is kind of why you know we talked about the the transition and what caused you to move from one one space to the other but what what is your why like why are you guys doing this what not as far as number of the units or how much cash flow or anything like that but what what's the end goal and like why do you guys get up and do this every day
0: yes for us it's that whole lifestyle by design the lifestyle freedom i mean we love to, we love to be in activity mode. We talk about we can't see ourselves retiring, per se, or just stopping everything. We enjoy the process. We What we really, truly want is just not to be forced to do anything. We're not forced to get up, or my husband, let's say, doesn't feel the obligation to get and go and do whatever work, um, hands-on type thing, and that's something we've pivoted out of uh, a lot already. But it's kind of like, we want to be free to make those choices in life We're free to make choices just because we've decided we want to do something. We, we love to give and we want to abundantly give and we, we get excited when we think about as we keep growing and the way we get to pivot how that looks or what we get to do or how we get to partner with people and uh, give back in a lot of different ways, it gets fun. It's For us, I guess it's about the fun and the process. We enjoy the process, but it really, it truly comes down to being able to make decisions not based on money in life. And so often I hear in our circles um, that people would love to be doing XYZ, but, or I wish I could do this, but, you know, reality sets in. And it's like, why not inspire people to make their own life, to make those choices? We get one life to live here. Why not make it one that we've chosen, not just settled into?
1: Yeah, well said. That's great. That's good stuff right there. Okay. So um, I could go on all day with you. Uh, you got you know a ton of uh, knowledge when it comes to all this stuff. So I really appreciate the time. But right now it's time for our segment advice with our invest guest. It's uh, three questions that I ask each guest uh, every week. And I'm just going to go ahead and dive right in and start with number one. What's one thing you would recommend to people that they can do right now to get started in real estate investing?
0: I would pick up a book any book on real estate investing and uh if you haven't found one start with rich dad Poor Dad. if you want to know why you won't learn anything about real estate investing in my opinion in it but it will give you kind of an idea to get you on track for what you're doing going forward but the number one thing once you start picking up the books or you start taking in podcasts or webinars or whatever you're going to be doing or tackling bigger pockets jumping in on the with the invest nest here the big thing is take one thing from every book that you read and put it into action, just one thing will make a world of difference. I know it made a huge difference for us just starting to take what's one takeaway that we can take and implement. Now, what can we do now? And we've done that with negotiation books, you know, as soon as possible, put that one thing into action, you know, whether it's lifestyle stuff or, or uh, personal development what's one thing, don't worry about chewing off the whole book all at once, but just pick one thing. And those one things, you know, if you're reading a book a month, um, that compounds very quickly in your life.
1: Great answer. Yeah. Not only is it just to read the book and educate, but I like that. Just take one thing out of the book. Don't get yourself overwhelmed and try to do everything that the book says, but if you can pull one actionable item out and put that into, add that to your process, you know, that's, that's good advice. Great. Great answer. Okay. Number two, looking back in hindsight, is there anything, or what's the one thing that you would do differently, if any, if you had to go back and do it over again?
0: Does Everybody say start sooner.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's a good answer. There's nothing wrong with it.
0: I think it's just goes back to the whole thing of ripping that band-aid off and um, going for it. Because I think fear keeps us back. And I think at the end of the day, we might not realize it's fear. It might be, you know, we're being smart or wise or prudent. And we're putting that safety net in. And that's good and smart. But I think really, it's just putting it into action a whole lot sooner and being confident that you know, the highly successful person that's highly successful is now highly successful because they started at some point. And that's the big thing is we all start as rookies at some point, we all take our first step at some point, just start taking it sooner than later.
1: Yeah, great answer. And well said, again, that's 100% true. Okay, so number three, you mentioned rich dad, poor dad, but are there any other book recommendations that you have for uh, people that want to learn more about um, real estate investing and really multifamily investing, I guess?
0: Oh, um,
1: <laughs> it doesn't have to be any book recommendation.
0: I'm like, I'm really like, you know, I'm going to give a, a curveball here. I, I do read some real estate investing books, um, but it's very analytical. So once you have the numbers down, you know, don't limit yourself to only real estate investing books. And I would say the large majority of the books I read probably aren't real estate investing books. I'm fully guilty over here. Um, but you you learn, you pick up, and then you you network and you're you're getting to know people. There's only so much of the same thing you can reread and you got it. Like you got it, just start moving. And the big thing is is the mindset hurdles and having the self-confidence and you know knowing that what you're choosing you can do and are capable of doing. And I know that sounds off in La La Land, but there's this book called Psycho Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. Are you familiar with it?
1: No.
0: And he is like the original mindset guy. This book for my husband and I, we've gone through it more than once. It's kind of one of those ones that you want to revisit. And the whole thing is it, it was this plastic surgeon who realized that he could have people come into his office and one person would have the slightest change and would feel like their whole world changed, even though their appearance hadn't really changed much. The next person could come in and have a massive overhaul done on their appearance to improve something that was maybe from a car accident or something, and they still couldn't see the change or the difference. And so he started wondering, what is the difference between this person and that person? So he wasn't actually a psychologist to start with. Um, and then he basically explored our mindset and how we as humans approach things. So it's just a really cool take on, I guess, becoming very self-aware and maybe giving yourself the confidence to move forward, to choose who you are and start walking out in that person. So the book is definitely not real estate focused, but I think any business person, any person looking to grow in life should take a look at it and, and really start to explore that part is like, is my own thought process, my own personal beliefs, the things that I've been taught growing up subconsciously, are those limiting me from taking that next step? Do I feel like I'm not the person that can take on a multifamily property? Because that's those special people in the corporate world. When you realize that these people who own these properties, it's one thing I love about it. I go downtown now in in our city here, and I look up these big buildings, which are probably small compared to larger centers, but I'm like, literally, it's just a person like myself that owns this building. They might have a corporation that owns the property, but at the end of the day, there's a person like you and I who owns this property. How wild is that when you start to realize that and you start to look around at different things, and it's like, there's a person behind that business. Somebody started that business. And uh, so we see these big corporations and we think of them just as this big juggernaut, but really at the end of the day, there is someone, there is a person behind that. And that person is really no different than you and I. And we just make choices along the way and we can grow that or create our own whatever we desire. So that is a book that I love. It's a little different. It's a little out of the wheelhouse for most people, but I definitely, I, I'm a huge supporter of the book. It was, It was amazing for both of us.
1: And that's interesting. Can you give us the title one more time?
0: It's psycho cybernetics. So psycho, like, psy. Yeah, yeah. Psycho.
1: That's awesome. No, that's interesting. That's that's cool. I mean, because a lot of this with real estate investing, and I think a lot of like you said, what prevents people from actually getting started is it's limiting belief, and you may not even realize that it's a limiting belief. You know, and I think may, it sounds like that book helps people look inward at themselves and maybe kind of just question things and question why things are why they're not doing things maybe from a different perspective it sounds like so great i like it. i like the curveball that's that's kind of like that wealth can't wait it's really not and it's a great book i recommend that as well it's not like a uh super real estate you know you do this, this is how you do this this is how you do that but it's more like inspiring and motivational uh it makes you think about things a little bit different much like rich dad poor dad uh so great great advice great advice and you're right i mean i do the same thing i you can only like you read multifamily or apartment investing books, you kind of get how it works. There's only so many. <laughs> you read another one; and it sounds it's the same exact thing. You know, you, once you kind of get it, you get it. I'll, I'll go revisit them sometimes. But so I like the recommendation. Something a little bit different. Very, very good. Uh, Amanda, this has been a lot of fun. Can you tell us how people can connect with you if they want to? If they want to learn more about you or what you're doing, um, where can people where can people connect?
0: On Instagram right now, I started my account there to start sharing the process. Like I said, I do share about the nuts and bolts, the cap rates, the net operating incomes, how to run the numbers, kind of some of the mindset stuff. But you can find me on Instagram at multifamilyamanda.
1: And I encourage our audience to go check out Amanda on Instagram. Um, She is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this stuff. Super uh, motivational, super uh, inspirational. Uh, So go check her out. She's doing a lot of cool stuff. Um Amanda, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I really do appreciate you coming on. This has been a great conversation about real estate and um, you know, multifamily, but even in just just in life. Uh, so you're a great example of what people can do when we put our mind to it and we we have our goals set. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us.
0: Well, thank you for having me. This has been wonderful.
1: Absolutely, and hope to have you back again sometime.
0: If you'll happy, me.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm sure I wanna hear more about that uh, land development deal. So you're definitely invited, but uh, thanks again, Amanda. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I wish the best of luck to you uh, and your team. Um, and I hope you guys have a successful 2021 and beyond.
0: Thank you very much.
1: And I also wanna thank all of our listeners out there for joining us again this week. Uh, I really do encourage you all to go check out um, Amanda on Instagram. Again, it's Amanda. Uh, She's doing a lot of great things when it comes to multifamily and she's sharing it on Instagram. So go check her out, give her a follow. And I want to thank you all again for tuning in this week. Again, our show drops every Wednesday morning. So be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of our podcasts. Um, And leaving a review and rating, again, does help us out a lot. So that's greatly appreciated. Uh, We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Invest Nest. And of course, go create your free profile at theinvestnest.com. Um, and again, we do have a lot of great features coming out. Soon I, I will make the announcement for the, the website relaunch very soon. So stay tuned. All right, everybody, thanks again. As always, I'm your host, Travis Murphy, and we'll see you next time on the Invest Nest Real Estate Investing Show. Thank you for joining us on the Invest Nest Real Estate Investing Show. Be sure to join the Investnest.com and start learning and earning today.